So last week we looked at uh, 12 prophecies concerning this, the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What I'm hoping to do is take the Christmas story like one deck of cards and uh, the prophecies of last week like another deck of cards and I hope to just interlace them so you can see how they were fulfilled with all these. I've got I think 30 slides here. It's just a lot of scripture. Basically what I'm going to be doing is reading you the Christmas story. Now you know God used the prophecy I've told you many times found in Psalm 22 to first open my eyes to the plan of salvation. Like many of you uh, growing up in schools, I was taught that you couldn't trust the Bible, that it was written by uh, a bunch of uh, tribesmen who lived in different areas of the world, and these were just their, their stories that they wrote down, and there were all these inconsistencies in the Bible, and you couldn't trust it. And up until the time I was really in my 20s, I always had a skept skeptical view of the Bible. I read a book once by, called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey, and in that, he, in one of those chapters early in the book, he goes through the prophecy of the 22nd Psalm, which I'm not going to do today, but you can certainly do that on your own just before the 23rd Psalm, obviously. And uh, you, can, you can go through that and see that it is, if, it is if the writer of Psalm 22, which I'll actually show you in a little bit, the writer of Psalm 22 was uh, Jesus himself hanging on the cross crucified and describing not only the experience, but what he could see around him. And when I read that and realized that, uh, first of all, it was written a thousand years before Jesus lived, and it was written 800 years before they crucif ever crucified anyone, uh, the way Jesus was crucified. The Romans sort of, uh, in air quotes, perfected it. And uh, it's really a remarkable event that it's something that you... Jesus couldn't have pulled off on his own, uh, even if he wanted to, and who would want to? Uh, how would you uh, convince the Roman soldiers to break the legs on guys on either side of you, but not his legs? Or how would you, how would you convince them to stick a spear in your side? I mean, you wouldn't. You wouldn't even want to. And when I read that, I realized there may be something to this Bible that I wasn't told when I was in the public schools in Maryland. Maybe I was missing something. And for the first time, I began to consider the Bible as a viable message from God himself. And when you start taking the Bible in that vein and start to say to yourself, well, is there some truth in this? Is this, is this as accurate as Hal Lindsey said it was? Uh, uh, then I began to read the Bible in a whole different light, as many of you have as well. When I read that God took my sins upon himself, sent his son to take my sins to that cross and, and bore the punishment that I deserve. And when I read that really all I need to do is surrender my heart to him, confess that I'm a sinner, I had no problem with that. Uh, confess that I'm a sinner and receive the free pardon of my sins through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought that was the greatest deal in the world. I don't know why everybody in the whole world doesn't do that. And for me, it was really no decision at all. Well, I want to say all that to tell you that uh, prophecy is very important to God as well. This is Isaiah 46 about the subject of prophecy. This is God himself speaking through Isaiah. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God, there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. From ancient times, the things that haven't happened yet. A thousand years before the crucifixion, I will predict it. See what I'm saying? Declaring the end from the beginning. My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And now, 
this is, this is a mission-specific prophecy talking about the destruction of Babylon and the return of Israel to her land. Again, this is Isaiah 700 B.C. This is 150 years before Cyrus the Persian came in on his flagpole, uh, an eagle, an eagle calling a ravenous bird from the east, which is a word that describes a hunting bird, a, 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 um, a hawk, or an eagle. And as it turned out, uh, Cyrus the Persian actually used the emblem of an eagle on the top of his flagpole. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executes my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. 150 years before the fall of Babylon, this prophecy of Babylon's fall to the Persian Empire was predicted and came to pass exactly as it said. Now, the point that I'm making here is not, this isn't about Christmas. You probably figured that out. But the point that I'm making here is prophecy matters to God. A lot of people say, well, I'm not interested in prophecy. Well, that's all right. But God is interested in prophecy. Uh, God is interested in prophecy. Now, Jesus, when he was approaching uh Jerusalem for that last week of his life and he was presenting himself as a Messiah he looked down at what to him was the beautiful beautiful city of Jerusalem down across the valley he could see uh, it glimmering in the morning sunlight and he was presenting himself as a Messiah this is where he climbed on that that foal of a donkey and rode it into town and, and everybody said Hosanna Hosanna to God in the highest and he got off of his donkey at one point as he went down into the Kidron Valley and he said these words, if you'd known, he began to weep. And he said, if you'd known, even at least on this thy day, this thy day, if you'd have known, if you'd have read your Bible and studied your prophecy, you would have known that Daniel predicted this very day. This day was predicted by Daniel. He gave you the exact date. All you had to do was count 183,000 days and you would have known this was a day. If thou hast known, even thou. You know, he's sitting there looking at that beautiful city, and in his mind, he can see the destruction of 2,000 years rolling out in front of him, and his people, and all the sorrow and pain that Israel had gone through because they would not receive him as their Savior and Lord. And because of that, his heart was broken on this morning. This should have been the happiest time of his life as he presents himself as king. They should have received him as their king. They should have been glad to receive him, but they were not. If you'd have known the things which belong to thy peace, but now they're hid from your eyes, and the veil was drawn over Israel. It's really a sad story. You should have known, but you didn't. So last week we looked at 12 different prophecies, and you know, the first mention of the Messiah uh, was to the serpent uh, when he attempted Adam and Eve in the garden. Yes, I believe that's literal. Uh, and when he'd done that uh, to the serpent, God had said, I'll put enmity. That's a state of warfare between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, many of you know the word bruise could mean crush. It could imply killing. It could just mean destruction. And we don't really know. But the war between good and evil began in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. So when you're looking at the world and you say to yourself, why does everything have to go wrong? Go right back to Genesis chapter 3. Why does God allow these terrible things happen? Go right back to Genesis chapter 3. A Adam took 
the dominion of the world that God had given him and he turned it over to Satan. You can't blame God for what's going in our world, going on in our world today. You know. Uh, now the the answer to that. So that's the prophecy, and this is the fulfillment. Romans three twenty one. But now the righteousness of God, apart without means apart from the law, is manifest. That means we can be saved apart from keeping the law. And in effect, this is the crushing of the serpent. All the destruction of the serpent is going to be undone. See, being witnessed by the law and prophet, even the righteousness of God is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely. Justified means you're declared instant, innocent. We're declared instant, innocent without charge, by grace. It's not merited, see. Freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. This is the undoing of the work of Satan. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His Son in the likeness of sin for flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Yeah, you're gonna, you are going to hobble and cripple the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, but God is going to cripple your work completely through His death. The coming Messiah would be through Abraham. This is a whole series of prophecies that I read to you last week. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. And you go to Romans 10 and you read, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord over all. I can't read that. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, there are a number of prophecies about the family line of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I'm just going to read the, the four, three or four prophecies right in a row. And then we're going to go to the actual Christmas story in Matthew. Um, now, Balaam, a rather nefarious prophet of sorts, 1,200 years before Jesus was born, told us that the Messiah would come through the family of Jacob. Now, we knew he was going to come through Abraham, and somehow I missed that. Uh, it's supposed to be in here. But we also know he's going to come through Jacob, which was Abraham's grandson. And this is, this is actually quoting uh, Balaam in Numbers 24. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. It means not, not immediately. There shall come a star out of Jacob. And his scepter shall, scepter is rule, shall rise up out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Seth. From Isaiah we learn, now this is 700 years before Christ, through the family of Jesse, the father of David, that the Messiah would come through Jesse. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel, of might and wisdom. So we've got Abraham, uh, Jacob, and now Jesse. And finally, Jeremiah, 600 years before Christ said, of Jesse's three sons, it would come through the line of King David. Behold, the days cometh, this is Jeremiah, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice and in the earth. So if you go to Matthew chapter 1, which is a tedious, tedious reading. I can't even read it, so I'm not going to read all of it. All I'm going to do is read the pertinent parts. 
But if you go to Matthew chapter 1 and you go to read the Christmas story, the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And then there's eight generations of names I can't pronounce in between the next verse. And you get up to verse 6, and then Jesse, that's David's father, begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. We call him Uriah. And then after 24 more lists of names and generations that I can't pronounce, uh, you get to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 16, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. So what Matthew is doing is he is following the legal lineage of Jesus, even though Joseph wasn't Jesus's actual physical father, God the Father was, uh, but even though he wasn't the actual father, he was the legal father, and Matthew traces that genealogy just as it has been predicted for 1,600 years that it would follow that way. Now, how do you set that up in advance? Isaiah tells us also, uh, 700 years before Christ, that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Well, we know that's impossible. But then it's impossible to call the worlds into existence. It's impossible to help old men build a boat. It's impossible to do a lot of things. You know, but God can do whatever he wants. Uh, Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. God is with us. Emmanuel. God is with us. All right, so you're still in Matthew. Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise. When his... Mother Mary was the spouse to Joseph. We think of that as a, uh, as a, uh, uh, what's the word? Engagement, but it's really a far more legal and far more serious uh, arrangement in their days, such that if Joseph were going to cancel their wedding, he would have to divorce her. And that's what you're going to read here about put away. Put away is a reference to divorcing her. Now, the birth of Jesus was on this wise when his mother Mary was uh, engaged or his spouse, legally committed, might be a better way to say that, to Joseph. Before they came together, before they were actually married, they were a spouse, but they weren't married, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And in most cases, that's a whoops. And Joseph's thinking, whoops, this could be a mistake. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. It means he was going to quietly divorce her, not say anything to anyone, and it would all be done with. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, hear the reference to the, the prophecy of a thousand years ago, oh, thou son of David, fear not, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Well, that's impossible. It is impossible, humanly speaking. But there's nothing impossible for God. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. The Father names the Son. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that might be fulfilled. Hear that reference to prophecy? Which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. We know who that is now, right? Isaiah. And shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Which being interpreted is, and really it's translated, not interpreted, uh, God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. So he went and married her. That's what it's saying. 
and knew her not. They had no relations until she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Direct fulfillment of those four prophecies that I read you. 700 B.C., Micah said that the Messiah would be born in the town of Bethlehem. This is the prophecy in the salmon color, which you can't see. Who could know? But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the house of the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Interesting story when you think about it. Jesus uh, was born in Bethlehem only because of, of, of the taxes that were being uh, levied at that time, and everybody had to go back to their home to pay their taxes. Otherwise, they would have paid their taxes in the town that they were living. Oh, nothing happened. There we go. Matthew. We're back in Matthew. Now we're in chapter 2. Reading the Christmas story. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Judea in the days of Herod the king. We're going to pick that up right after this. thousand years before uh, uh, Jesus was born, uh, the, David predicted that the Messiah would be worshipped by foreign kings who would present gifts. The kings of Tarshish and of the Isles shall bring presents. We read this last week. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. And now when we read Matthew chapter 2, we see that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, that's what I read last, uh, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we've seen a star in the east, and are come to worship him. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him, just as David said 1,000 years earlier. And when they had opened their treasures and presented, presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Now, you, you're all familiar with the story, so I don't need to read it all. 750 years before... Uh, Christ was born, Hosea tells us that the Messiah will live for a while, at least, in Egypt. And when Israel was a child, then I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. I lost my, I lost my, somewhere, there you go, okay. My teal is so light, I can't see my little pointer thing. <laughs> this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And when they were departed, these are inter, I'm trying to interleaf these. I, I, I think you understand that. And when they were departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared. These are the, uh, the, the quote-unquote wise men, the dignitaries. The angel of the Lord appeared in Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. And he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Again, uh, Matthew, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, is quick to point out that every aspect of this experience of the life of Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of prophecy, some that are 1,500 years old. It's a remarkable tale. Jeremiah, 600 years before Christ, uh, wrote this prophecy that when Messiah is born, children will be slaughtered in an attempt to kill him. Thus saith the Lord, this is Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter reaping, bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children. 
uh, refused to be comforter for children because they were not. The fulfillment, of course, is found in Matthew chapter 2. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet Jeremiah, we would say. In Ramah there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they were not. And we know the story where Herod went in and killed all the young males under the age of two, but Jesus had already escaped the city. Might be more accurate to say the town. I doubt if Bethlehem would have been considered a city in those days. Isaiah again. I don't know where I am in my notes. I got seven pages of notes here. I don't know where I am in that. Isaiah again, the Messiah will suffer for our transgression and heal our sinful condition. Linda read this this morning, Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. That was the thing that I couldn't understand as, as, uh, as I was entering into a faith relationship with God. Why would God send his son to take the punishment that I deserve? He was wounded for our transgressions. He took our punishment. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, uh, the angel Gabriel says to Mary, and she shall bring forth a son. I guess he was saying this to Joseph at the time. And she shall bring forth a son, and that shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This is the undoing of the work of Satan. David, again, a thousand years before Christ, we're almost done if you're getting impatient. Uh, the Messiah would be crucified by Gentiles. Now, this is the prophecy that really opened my eyes, and God, God used to open my eyes. Uh, different verses speak to different people, but throughout the years there have been specific verses that have really changed my life. I'm sure you, you would have different verses as well, but nonetheless, there's always something that you're reading your Bible and it, it really pops out at you, you know. This is Jesus hanging on the cross, having been nailed there by the Romans. Of course, you know when they stood up the cross, they dislocated his shoulders and he just hung there until all the joints were out of joint and he was in terrible terrible pain dogs there is a reference to gentiles that's the roman guard surrounding him for dogs have compassed me the assembly of the wicked is a reference to the jewish leaders that are standing there mocking him for dogs have compassed me the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me they pierced my hands and my feet it was only in the last 200 years that the Romans had developed the idea of nailing people to a cross. Uh, so this was written 800 years before the method of execution was invented. It would be somewhere the equivalent of someone saying that he was electrocuted in an electric chair 800 years before electricity was invented. Uh, so you see the, the incredible nature of this prophecy. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. That's because they're all dislocated. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. That's just a tiny part of that whole prophecy. Uh, a remarkable uh, prophecy. Matthew chapter 27, nearing the end of Matthew, it says, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, which is called the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One? 
And they said unto him, this is the crowd as they're getting ready to crucify Jesus. Let him be crucified. And the governor said, why? What evil, evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. This is the judge who has declared the, uh, the quote-unquote criminal, is declared the criminal innocent. He'd done nothing worthy of crucifixion. But they cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, a typical politician that he was, but that rather a tumult was made, and he couldn't have that. He took water, washed his hands before the multitude, and said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. So Jesus goes to trial for his life. He's declared innocent. He's declared just. And he turns Jesus over to the crowd and lets him crucify him anyway. Wow. Courts haven't changed much, have they? 600 years before Jesus was born, Jeremiah, and this is the last one, writes, he will be called the Lord, of our, the Lord our righteousness. In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord, Jehovah, our righteousness. This is another one of my favorite verses because it really describes the whole gospel in, in one verse. For he, God the Father, made him Jesus. For God made Jesus. For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus was absolutely sinless. He said to the Pharisees, which of you convinces me of sin? No one could find the sin that he'd ever committed. Who knew no sin, that we, who have known nothing but sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I've got to get to my notes now. I'm like way ahead of myself. God knew that once mankind fell into sin, there was no way we'd redeem ourselves. Back in eternity past, he knew that once, once Adam made that decision, there was no going backwards. There's no way we can fix what we've done wrong. There's no way to undo the wrong that we've done. There was no turning back. He told Adam that day when he ate of that fruit that he would surely die. He said, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And after that first rebellion, spiritual death has followed all of us. And there's nothing we could do about it. We were dead in trespassing sins. There was no way to undo the wrong that was accomplished back then or the wrong that we've done. We could go on from now and make a decision that from now on I will never do another thing wrong in my life. But we're still sinners. We've already sinned. It's past tense. You know, I always envision this guy standing before a judge for murder and saying, but, but your honor, I only killed one person. Well, one, one murder makes you a murderer, and one sin makes you a sinner. Without God's direct intervention, the whole world would perish in an eternity separated from God. So the plan was that Jesus would take the burden of our sins, and we would in turn be credited with his righteousness. We would be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, this, this is a piece that I've taken from a different author, and he said the likelihood that 40, year, 40 authors over 3,000 years would be able to get all these de details correct is beyond infinitesimal. If you were to conceive of 50 specific prophecies about a person in the future whom one had never met, just what is the likelihood that this person would fulfill all 50 of the predictions? Mathematicians can do that. Uh, there's, there's a guy that I shared with you last week that did the, the probability of just 12. No, I think they did just eight of those prophecies being fulfilled. 
and, and the statistic was 1 in 10 to the 17th. It all depends on who you read, but I've read anywhere from 250 to 500 plus prophecies about Jesus Christ first coming. And the statistical probability that just 250 of those would be fulfilled, according to mathematicians, is 1 in 10 to the 252nd. That's 10 with 252 zeros written after it. It's a number you can't even pronounce. I tried to find out how many stars there were in the sky, and there's apparently 600 billion trillion stars estimated to be in the sky. That's just about as likely as all of these things being fulfilled by accident, if you know what I mean. The best example that I've ever heard was the, the quarter example, and you've probably heard this from me multiple times. 10 to the 17th is a huge number. So the chance of this happening is 1 in 10 to the 17th of just 8 of those prophecies. 10 to the 17th in quarters, if you spread them all over Texas, 10 to the 17th quarters, they estimate, would stack 2 feet deep. That's a lot of quarters. All right. If you took one of those quarters and marked it and just threw it in with a pile all over Texas and you blindfolded a guy and said, walk as far as you want and then bend over and pick up one coin, the likelihood of him picking up that one coin, coins all over Texas two feet deep, would be one in 10 to the 17th. And we're just talking about eight prophecies. What's the likelihood that all of these prophecies came to pass? A likelihood is so inconceivable as to be impossible. Either God is God and these prophecies are true or all of this is not true. How much less is the likelihood of 25, just 25 of these predictions about what other people would do to him were completely beyond his control? For example, how does someone arrange to be born in a specific family? How does one arrange to be born in a specific city? How does one uh, get born in a city where your parents don't actually live? How does one arrange their own death, specifically by crucifixion? In fact, why would you? you know, with two others, and then arrange to have their executioners gamble for their clothing? How does one arrange to be betrayed in advance? How does one arrange to have the executioners carry out the regular practice of breaking the legs of two victims on either side, but not their own? How does one escape from a grave and appear to people after having been killed? Indeed, it may be possible for someone to fake one or two of the Messianic prophecies, but it would be impossible for any one person to arrange and fulfill all of these prophecies. Now, the purpose of prophecy, the purpose of prophecy is so we know there's a God in heaven. That's why he does this. That's what he said. This was our first slide. It's also our last. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. There's no other gods. I am God, and there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning. That's the proof. It's the absolute foundational proof that God is God. Declaring the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, from things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. God is God. He's still on the throne. He's still in control, and prophecy matters. And you can believe the Bible. 
God planned this out from the beginning. He worked out every infinite detail and he revealed it slowly to all of his prophets over 3,000 years. It's a pretty remarkable tale. It's almost impossible to believe. But the moment that little uh, niggling doubt gets in your head that, you know, this might be true, it changes the way you read the Bible. And when you start reading the Bible from a position of faith and saying, wow, if this is true, then what does this mean? If this is true, what does it mean for me? And what it means is you have a Savior that's willing to save you if you'll just turn to Him. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time and for this uh, opportunity to just compare Old Testament prophecy with the New Testament birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, let no one within the sound of my voice go away from here without trusting Christ as their Savior. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.